Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. This episode of the Farm Traveler podcast is brought to you by CashRent.com, a brand new marketplace for leasing farmland. CashRent provides you with all the tools you need, finding a tenant for your ground, facilitate an auction, sign and look for your contracts, and receive lease payments directly to your bank account. Landowners and farmers use CashRent as a trusted platform to facilitate everything involved with leasing farmland. CashRent was founded by a farm owner who was frustrated by the lack of clear data available when it came to renting out his land. He had multiple offers coming in, but there was no way for knowing what was a fair price for everyone. This was the moment that Chris realized that there had to be a better way. Chris founded CashRent in an effort to bring transparency to the farmland leasing process and to expand the options available to farmers and landowners by giving them access to people and land outside of their immediate neighbors. CashRent's Cash Restimate tool combines the number of tillable acres on a parcel with the soil types and soil quality present to determine the fair rental price for a piece of farmland. Farmers can bid on this land and then CashRent facilitates the signing of the lease and the lease payment process. CashRent was created to simplify the farmland rental process and to be a trusted platform for farmers and landowners to connect. CashRent is a marketplace, not a middleman. Farmers can expand their operation and landowners can get a fair price for their land with CashRent. Head over to CashRent.com today and get a free cash restimate in under 5 minutes. Maximize your yield with CashRent. When you think of the Sunshine State, you might think of two things, the beach and Disney World. And I mean, that's pretty true. Most people come to Disney World when they're here in Florida, or they go to our super sandy beaches, which are pretty darn beautiful, if I do say so myself. Um, But what if I told you, not only is agriculture a huge industry here in Florida, which it's actually the second industry behind tourism, but what if I also told you that beef in Florida is actually a huge thing? And Florida is one of the largest beef producing states east of the Mississippi. 
we're actually going to learn about that. Uh, welcome. This is the Farm Traveler Podcast, and I am your host, Trevor Williams. And today on the show, we're going to learn about Florida beef. Today, I'm chatting with Gene Lawless from the Florida Cattle Ranchers. And Gene's going to walk us through the whole history of cattle in Florida, what some of the most popular breeds are, kind of the differences between North and South Florida, and also how it's grown and how it's been affected by the whole COVID pandemic. And Gene and I, we, we, we actually kind of talk about this a lot because we know um, a few of the same people like um, Boyd Fresh Farms, how COVID has actually helped increase relationships between producers and consumers. So consumers are starting to buy more direct. They're starting to buy fresh Florida beef directly from those Florida farmers, which is, I think, a win-win. And Gene and I are also going to talk about kind of the role beef plays here in the state of Florida with land conservation and sustainability. I know sustainability is a huge thing now as we kind of are more paying closer attention to climate change and all that stuff. And, you know, usually beef gets a pretty bad rap, but here in the United States, beef and the whole agriculture industry are responsible for only 3% of the total greenhouse gases from the United States. But everybody blames beef for everything. And so Gene and I are going to talk about kind of the misinformation and how beef is doing a lot in terms of helping the Florida economy, the Florida environment, and really how ranchers, especially here in Florida, have been paying attention to sustainability and the environment for decades, a whole lot longer than a lot of people have been paying attention to it, especially with climate change now. And so this was an awesome interview. I love learning more and more about Florida um, industries and especially beef. And also, fun fact, the largest beef ranch is not in Texas. It's not in Oklahoma. It is actually here in Florida. Uh, if you're in Florida, you might know of Deseret Ranch. They're actually, um, I believe they're a division of the Mormon Church, and they have the largest beef cattle ranch here in the United States, and it's here in Florida. They've got some land here in North Florida as well as South Florida. So this episode is all things Florida beef. I hope you enjoy it. And be sure to check out Florida Cattle Ranchers. You can easily go to their website. It's floridacattleranchers.com and check out all of their awesome content. So anyway, hope you enjoy this. This is episode 119 with Gene Lawless from Florida Cattle Ranchers. All right. Well, Gene Lawless from Florida Cattle Ranchers. How are you doing? Doing well, sir. How about you today? I'm doing well, man. So I'm excited to, to chat with you about Florida cattlemen, Florida ranchers, because um, a lot of people, if you're outside of Florida, you don't think of Florida as um, a beef state. And kind of before we dive into that, kind of tell us a little bit about yourself, and kind of how you got started with Florida cattle ranchers. Yeah, so, you know, Florida cattle ranchers is a group that came together about six years ago, and uh, we kind of have a vision of how do we convey our story about Florida cattle and Florida cattle ranchers. Uh, so, you know, myself, I'm a sixth generation, what I call sixth generation Florida boy. And uh, one thing my parents or my family didn't do is buy land. Um, you know, being six generations, actually coming from the Panhandle area of Taylor County. Uh, my great grandfather was a sharecropper. My dad's family actually had a large grazing release, but it was open land. It was open uh you know, free range kind of stuff. So you had access to the land, you run cattle and hogs. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'd always ask my dad, I said, dad, I, how come you didn't buy any land? He said, because we had access to it. Um, but so then, you know, as the times changed, fence laws and this, that, and the other came in, people started buying up the land, buying land because they knew 
that they had to own it. So uh, we just missed the opportunity to buy it. Uh, so to go back to like Florida cattle ranchers, you know, our vision is to kind of be able to convey our story. Uh, because as you mentioned uh, a second ago, a lot of people don't understand that Florida is a large cattle state. Uh, we're probably, you know, the numbers always fluctuate. It's kind of like population. Uh, but we used to be uh, number one east of the Mississippi. And today we're probably around number four or five east of the Mississippi, probably about 13 in the United States. Uh, but within the state of Florida, we probably have 10 of the largest cow-calf producers in the, in, the, in the whole United States as a cow-calf operations. So 10 of our producers have more cow-calves on their operations than anywhere else in the United States. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. A lot of people think Florida is just tourism and beaches, but I mean, like you said, like at one point we were the biggest cow offer or beef operation in the country, which is pretty cool. I mean, not a lot of people would know something like that. Yeah. You know, so you look at the numbers when you get east of the Mississippi and you got some larger states that have more numbers, uh, but they're taking total cattle into consideration. So then when you start looking at individual operations, there's a lot of ranchers that have a lot of cattle on their operations. You mentioned Deseret Citrus Landing Cattle. You know, they are the largest cow-calf operation in the United States. Um, you know, they're, they're, they're a big, big player, big, big in the industry. Oh, absolutely. So I know in Florida, we've got some super popular beef varieties. We've got um, Brahmin, for example, which weren't those, didn't they originate from India? Like they're not originally from Florida. Where do they originate from? Uh, yeah, India. You, you know, most of the uh, the Brahmin cattle come from a, you know, hot, humid, dry, uh, hot, humid, wet, so, you know, tropical environments of India. And uh, so, uh, you know, the Parton family, I believe, was one of the first families brought those cattle into Florida uh, back probably in the late 30s, 40s in that range, if I remember correctly. And, uh, you know, they're just, they are adapt to this hot, humid, wet environment. And uh, so they make very good mama cows and they make good to be able to cross uh, other continental and, and um, European breeds uh, to make the meat quality a little better. Right. Gotcha. So what kind of, what are some other beef varieties around the state? I know up here in the Panhandle, Panhandle we've got a lot of Black Angus. Um, I think we have some Charlay and stuff. So what are some other popular beef varieties here in the state? Yeah, so, you know, so if you're looking for a mama-based cow, you typically go with the Brahmin-type cow, uh, but most of us are on a crossbreeding type situation, so we take purebred animals, and of course, there's some, some full-blood in the purebred type situation, so you got Brahmin, Herford, Angus, Charlays, you know, you've got some folks that kind of kind of get into some of the other, you know, the Wagyu's and, and some of the other variety breeds, uh, but usually it's pretty much, you know, in most places, Brahmin, Hereford, Angus, and Charlotte type breeds. But there's a whole host out there. I think the United States probably has more breeds than anywhere else because we do crossbreed them. Oh, I believe it. Yeah, I've seen kind of a rise in popularity of, of Wagyu beef, for example. So are there any Wagyu beef farmers here in Florida? Yeah, there are. I don't know. I don't know where they're at, but they're all over, you know, because the Wagyu side of things, they put a lot more fat deposition on in which, you know, the fat or the marbling content is what makes the meat more and more tender with the more fat contents you have in them. 
Uh, you know, one breed we didn't mention was the Florida Cracker Cow, which is the state cow. The Cracker Cow uh, was the first cattle in the continental United States or the Americas uh, that Ponce de Leon dropped off on the coast of Ponderosa down here in West Florida. And you know, there's quite a few folks that still have a few of those cattle around. On the ranch that I manage, Archibald's Buck Island Ranch, we have a small herd of about 80 or 90 head of those. And it's just for the history of them because they, they are a little unique. They're a lot smaller than what I call our conventional cattle. They weigh about 800 pounds, where our other cows weigh about 1,000 to 1,200 pounds. So what does the history of like Florida cattlemen look like? I mean, like you said, your ranch, like what, what are you hoping to do with kind of showing people what the old ranch in Florida used to look like? Well, I, I think at the end of the day is, you know, one, we want them to let, let everybody know that we're here. We're part of agriculture. You know, the thing is, I always think about as a society, you know, this open space, uh, green space, and our ability to feed ourselves is what keeps our society moving and going. Uh, so for Florida cattle ranchers, our goal is to kind of keep our heritage and uh, continue to show our passion to what we do for, for the environment, you know, preserving water, keeping green space, uh, providing food and fiber. Uh, so that's, that's our goal is to kind of let people make, you know, that, that, that we're here. And there's no better way to convey our story than to get out there and do it ourselves. Oh, I like it. Yeah, y'all have got a really good website, Florida Cattle Ranchers. I mean, what's the response been like for since you guys have launched that, that business? Well, well, you know, we just hired a new staff member. She's key to our marketing and she has, she has grown us leaps and bounds. And uh, the numbers are, are growing every day. You know, just having a person that focuses on that gets her gets us out there more like this podcast today, you know, gets us out there and, and gets us to a broader range of, of people. So something that really grinds my gears is when people that have no clue about agriculture, they say, like I saw a post on Instagram the other day. It was saying that um, it was like factory farming and animal agriculture are destroying the environment, which they're not. I mean, animal ag does so much more good and it produces 3% of total greenhouse gas emissions as opposed to transportation, which is like 34% or something like that. And so a lot of people outside the, of the industry don't know how much good um, farmers and ranchers are doing. And so what exactly are Florida farmers doing in particular to kind of help with sustainability, land conservation and all that stuff? It's kind of getting more traction now, like people are more interested in kind of sustainability. So what are Florida farmers doing, specifically kind of beef ranchers? Yeah, well, so, you know, you let they, you take this ranch that I'm on, uh, you know, it's 10,500 acres of land. And so so if we're not here, you know, being productive and producing something off of this land, of course, it could still be open. Uh, but without the management of the land in itself and this, that, and the other, I don't think you'll see the host of wildlife. I don't think you'll see the water conservation practices that we do uh, of growing and, and doing things that we do on the land. So like on, on our ranch, Archibald Buck Island Ranch, is you know, when I when I say there's 176 bird species that frequent this ranch throughout the year, they probably wouldn't be here if they, we wasn't here doing the thing. Some people would probably argue that, but we provide the open space. And like I say, if we take the management off the land, it converts to something that's not, you know, because we maintain a lot of water. Uh, we prescribe burns. We do practices that might not be done if we wasn't here actively managing. We have 485 plant species on the on the ranch, 
and 85% of the plant species here are native plants and with 3,000 head of cattle. So we're running a productive operation along with protecting native species, providing bird habitat. We have bears, we have panthers, we have bobcats. You know, if it's wild in Florida, it's typically on these working landscapes because, you know, we're, we're growing feed for cattle, you know, in, in the terms of grass, but we're also protecting and conserving the wilder parts of our ranches. There's none of us, you know, of course, when you get on the edge of urbanization and some of the growing population, the ranches have changed because they've developed parts of them. But all of us typically keep a balance on our ranches of native pastures and improved pastures to make the whole ranch balance. So, you know, you know, when I say we conserve water, you know, uh, we we block and we we manage the water that's on the ranch so it's just not a chute going off the property. You know, that's one of the issues that we face in South Florida is we're always uh, typically about one day from a flood and about six days from a drought. So, you know, our weather in, this, in, in South Florida is very, you know, summertime, we typically get rain every day. Um, so we, we're learning how the, that we have to manage that water within the property itself versus just letting it flow off like, like it used to do. Right. So kind of a jack of all trades. I mean, it sounds like there's a lot going on. So, I mean, if you're trying to increase wildlife, like you were saying, all the bird species, what do you do? I mean, do, do you just your research on what plants they like, maybe what fruits and berries you might forage off of? Like what kind of research are you doing to kind of help increase yeah, the biodiversity? You know, the, yeah, you know, the, the unique thing is just by what, what we're doing, you know, keeping open space open. And, and with Archibald, we do have a team of researchers that are here. That's how I know the birds are out there. We're not atypical from any other ranching operation. It's just that we have the scientists hired that are here and they're doing the counts. You know, I've been here 28 years and, and it's been a great blessing for me because I've been interacted with a lot of folks. And, you know, the premise of the property, uh, it was owned by the John D. Catherine Mertie, uh Foundation and the Archibald uh, Biological Station. Uh, we just recently uh, bought the ranch from the MacArthur Foundation too, and we've been for 30 years looking at environmental research. So we started with the wildlife, and then we've moved into water. Now we're moving into soil. You mentioned uh, you mentioned greenhouse gases. We have five methane towers on the place that we look at grazing. We look at non-grazing. We look at all the interactions. Give the science to what we're actually doing here, which is beneficial, so we can educate the general public on what you had mentioned, that we are not as bad as what everybody portrays us to be. You know, I've heard a lot of people say, yeah, you're a factory farmer. You know, we're just, you know, we're a cattle ranch. And, uh, you know, we do grow grass. We do grow other, a few other crops, but it's to balance it, to stay economically sustainable. Number one, we got to stay economically sustainable. We got to stay environmentally sustainable. And then we also have to remain socially responsible in all the things that we do on the property. And you said jack of all, jack of all trades, master of none. I know a lot about a, everything and gets me in trouble on all. <laughs> I bet. Yeah, I was on Instagram and I saw some viral video and it was actually talking about that whole quote. And apparently the whole quote is master or master of none, jack of all trades, but better than being a master of one. And I was like, huh, that's pretty cool. I kind of like that quote. So 
You know, that's a great coat because I've always said, if you, typically an expert is only, he's an expert of one thing. And uh, that's what an expert is. Yeah, so, so yeah, good, good, good point. Yeah, yeah, that's a good quote. So I know COVID, I mean, it's 2021. I, it's like year two, it feels like. So how exactly has COVID kind of impacted Florida cattle? I mean, I know we've had yeah. pro- problems with like processing beef and all that stuff. So what's been going on? Yeah, you know, so it's been, you know, this COVID situation been tough on us all. And it doesn't matter if you're an agricultural business or any other business. And it's just, you know, I hope one day we'll get back to what we call normal. Mm -hmm. If there's ever such a thing after this. Uh, But in the cattle business, you know, what's happened to us uh, across the nation is the bottleneck is is the packing plants. And so so they still are not back up to 100% efficiency. You know, they're, they're... you know, their, their labor forces are not there, so they're not back up to, to harvesting the number of cattle that are normally harvested on, on a weekly basis. Uh, with our little, you know, with our Florida cattle ranchers, we work with the Fort McCoy meats up outside of Ocala. It's a little, it's a little processing plant, but we harvest about 120 head a week. And we've had some issues where weeks the labor situation was, was tough. Just getting the product out to the consumers was tough. Because, you know, if you take Florida, for example, you know, food service is a big part of moving food. Uh, so when you, when you look at the height of COVID and things started shutting down, it caused a big bottleneck, even in our, what I call our little, our little world, our little beef program that we do here in Florida. Uh, so what we, we did as producers, you know, we're always, agriculture's always stepping up to the plate to do something different. So we had the cattle, the packing plant was able to harvest some cattle during the peak of the last, of the bad part of COVID. So some of us ranchers got trucks and trailers and we got out on the side of the street and we started providing meat products to the consumer right at farmer's market. Same thing with the farming industry did. We got out, we just changed the distribution model of that, of how to get food products to the consumer. Uh, so. We've just kind of changed the way we do business. And of course now, you know, I think COVID's back in its stream again and what's gonna happen next week or the next, we don't know, but we'll still be able to get some product out long as our, long as our packing or you know, our par- packing partners, employees stay healthy and, and we can keep harvesting some animals. Do you think that might be something that kind of stays around a lot longer going kind of more direct to consumers? Cause I've seen a bunch of people that have started selling beef at farmers markets and they're doing more direct. And I think it's awesome because that kind of, you're building better relationships between farmers and consumers. And so do you think that'll stay around a little bit longer? Yeah, I think you're going to see the dynamics of, of just distribution and regionalization of, of how we, how we, how we move our food throughout the United States. You know, the one thing I done mentioned it once, I said, you know, again, we need our ability to produce food in our country, not un, without a shadow of a doubt. And, you know, the interesting thing about Florida is we grow crops all year long because we have a subtropical, very mild climate. Most of the time, I'm not saying we don't get cold, uh, but we're growing something all year long. And when you look at it, Florida is very, very important for the rest of the United States for about five months out of the year where you can't grow anywhere, anywhere else. You got California, of course. Uh, but, you know, as we start looking at transportation and 
trucking and, and mobilization and the, just how we distribute things, it's all on the back of trucking. And uh, when you start looking at transportation, it's getting tougher and tougher to get people to drive trucks. Uh, so I think as a society, we really need to start looking at what it takes to regionalize or change our method of moving our food products around the country. And uh, not saying those things are going away, but I think the dynamics are always changing. Yeah, that's a good point. I, I saw some Facebook article a few months ago, and it was talking about how truck drivers aren't going to have jobs in five years. And I was like, mm, I don't think that's going to be a thing because, I mean, we always need truckers because, I mean, like you said, in Montana, when it's freezing there for half the year, I mean, they've got to get produce somehow, and it's going to be from Florida or California getting trucked in. Yes, and I mean, that's that's the nature of the beast, and, you know, that's that's just, the you know, the environment you know, and, and how it is across the country. And I, and I think that's what we need to do. Uh, you know, I always say our ability to feed ourselves is what keeps us civil because a hungry man does some different things. <laughs> I like that. That's a good point. So I know that labeling when it comes to beef is really interesting. Like apparently if it's not labeled, it can be from Brazil or China or anything. So if you want to buy Florida beef, are there, is there a label or something to where when you buy it, you know you're buying cattle that was raised in Florida? Yeah, you know, there is. And, and like you said earlier, there are a lot of folks starting to do the pasture, the plate scenario. And and, and I would I hate to even guess how many there might be out there now. But, you know, like ourselves, we're Florida cattle ranchers and uh, we have our own label. And uh, it's just that we don't have enough supply to feed the 22 and a half million people that live in our state. And then you know, like a pre-COVID situation, most folks don't recognize or realize we typically have anywhere from 100 and 110 to 125 million people that visit Florida in mm-hmm. any given year. And 72 million, 75 million of those are right in the Orlando area. And they go to Mickey Mouse, and SeaWorld and Universal Studios. So, so yeah, so there's, there's quite a few uh, individual labels out there. And ours again is Florida Cattle Ranchers and, um, you know, we have about five or six of us now that, that do sell out of out of truck, but there's other ones out there as well. And uh, I just want to sell, uh, you know, to me, sell beef, you know. And uh, Hey, there you go. So, so speaking of beef, what are some of your favorite cuts? I tried cooking a hanger steak for the first time a few months ago, and it was absolutely delicious. So what are your, what are some of your favorite cuts on the cow? Well, I, 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 just, I'm, I like the whole thing. I mean, I eat everything on it. <laughs> so, but you know, the, my, my go-to steak is, of course, always kind of the ribeye or, or the tenderloin or the filet. You know, the, the, there's several cuts out there now that we, we've just, the hanger steak, like you're mentioning, you had a tri-tip, you got the culotte, which is the pecani in Brazil. And, uh, you know, there, those are some, some whole muscle cuts that are fabbed out of some, like the sirloin. And those are cuts that were more Western cuts, the culotte or the pecani, the tri-tip. You know, those are some, some interesting cuts that really make a very good slow-cooked, low-heat, slow-cooked uh, product that's really good to, to eat. So, oh, I bet. Yeah, you know, I'd always say the ribeye and the tenderloin, of course. But uh, but I, I think we can we learn every day how to, how to fracture, you pull one muscle cut off to make it make it more more palatable and more uh, consumer friendly, I guess I should say. Yeah, I gotcha. So are there any, is there any like misinformation that consumers have that you see a lot, whether that's just in 
the way cattle are raised or processed or even kind of some misinformation on cooking and storing beef. So is there is there a lot of misinformation that you kind of see out there? Yeah, you know, if if you start from say from our from our pasture, you know, you, you mentioned factory farming. You know, if you came on the ranch today and you drove around, you'd ask where all the cows are at. Mm-hmm. You got three thousand cows on ten thousand five hundred acres, you know, and you you you'll see cows and bulls, whatever you'll see them here, but they're not like stacked on top of one another. And you know, and then you get a miss a lot of misinformation on how we handle and care for them. Well, you know, if if I take uh, typically when we when we we purchase our bulls. Most of our bulls cost us anywhere from four to five thousand dollars a piece. We own two hundred of them. So mm-hmm. when you start looking at the economics of that, you know, the the last thing that I want to do is mis mistreat five thousand dollars around out there, or a, a female that cost me two thousand dollars to try to produce to try to produce beef. So you know, a lot of misinformation out there about how we care and how we handle animals and, and this that you know there's a lot there you know then when it comes to the, the meat product itself you know there's a lot of things that go on from the from the start to the finish then to the processing of it and then how it's handled beyond us you know so it's just not everything you just got to be cautious and be careful on how you do things you know keep your refrigeration cool cook it to the proper temperatures you know uh you know, so there is a lot of misinformation on on how how any industry, and like even the beef industry, you, uh-huh. know, you hit a you hit a large you hit a large one on, you know, a lot of times here in Florida, we, we you know agriculture in general gets blamed for a lot of what's going on, and I think as a society we got to quit pointing fingers and completely understand that that to grow food is very complex and uh, we got to learn that we got we need it and then two we just got to learn to find solutions to the to the issues or problems we have whether it be environmental or water quality issues and that we're doing our part i mean we're i mean you know i can tell you like on this ranch you know where we we have put in almost a half a million dollars worth of culverts and structures to manage our water better to where it's just not a flick a, a, a shoot out you know uh you know, there's a lot of misinformation that we fertilize every inch of land with fertilization. I can tell you last year we didn't fertilize. We didn't we didn't put out a dollar's worth of fertilizer. This year we have very been very touchy on what the fertilizers bringing because our cattle prices are so low right now on our calves that uh, sometimes it's not economically feasible to even do it. And uh, mm-hmm. so it's a balancing act on how we manage our lands. So there's, you know, if I go back to that misinformation uh, that we, we we're pretty uh, dollar savvy. You know, we're just not throwing dollars around and and in in in, the, in every aspect of operation. Oh yeah, absolutely. And before I forget, this is something I, I like to always ask anybody who works in beef. Uh, what is your viewpoint on grass finished versus grain finished? Because I know a lot of people say one tastes better than the other. So what's your opinion there? Well, I mean, at the end of the day, it depends on your palate. And it depends on the grass that they're grazed on. If you took one of our animals out of this setting and came off of our native grasses or our Bahia grass, 
you will not, it, it's more, it's a game of your taste. Now I'm not, you know, to me, again, as I mentioned earlier, I want people eating beef, whether it's grass fed or grain fed. Uh, now there are some distinct differences and the distinct difference is as a, a grain fed animal, it helps turn the marbling, the white, the, the fat white. And, the, and that's where the corn comes in. The corn comes in and deposits that marbling where your grass finished animals are typically pretty, you know, are a leaner, uh, a leaner, a leaner cut of meat, a leaner, just a little leaner than what we would be on a grain fed diet. So I think it just all depends up to your, to your palate, you know, is, you know, one healthier than the others. I, you know, I don't know. There's some science that says it is, uh, but you know, there, then there's efficiencies there as well. You know, the, the efficiencies of there is that when you when you put them on a feed, on a grain fed diet, you can get to that end point uh, to the proper mar marbling and that that wider fat content in a quicker time frame than you can on a grass finished situation. Gotcha. Man, you've got me inspired. I'm going to try to do a taste test sometime soon and kind of get a ribeye, one grass fit finished and one grain finished, kind of see which one will taste better. Yeah. That'll be interesting. I don't know if I've ever yeah. really noticed a difference. Yeah, well, I, and I think at the end of the day, you just got to look at, you know, again, the source of where it comes from and this, that and the other. And uh, again, I, I just uh, about two years ago, my boss gave me a book. It's called uh, Steak, S-T-E-A-K. And it was talking about grain and grass fed and as he and this guy mentioned he said you know i've had the best grass fed steak and the worst grass fed steak mm. but i've also had the best grain fed steak and i've had a bad grain fed steak so and he traveled all over the world everywhere and so you know it just kind of depends on your palate depends on how you cook it you know so and that'd be a, a that's a lot of in the beef world and, in, and of course probably chicken and pork as well is cooking is an art yeah i mean you know some people just overcook the meat and can take a very good piece of meat and make it pretty terrible oh yeah yeah that's true my my grandpa for example loved to death but anytime we eat steak or anything he he's like yeah, i want mine burnt he loves it burnt for some reason and i've tried it yeah. you can't taste a thing it just tastes like eating rubber i'm like man why are you doing that do a good cut of meat yeah, yeah. So, uh, what are what have been some of the biggest struggles you've faced, whether that's cattle ranching or just trying to kind of grow this business to FloridaCattleRanchers.com? So, what are some of the biggest struggles, and also some of the biggest wins that you've kind of experienced along the way? Well, you know, I'm gonna start. You know, the struggles is just changing from from what we typically do as producers. You know, we're tip. We used to be. You know, we we raise a calf you know, up to 500 pounds, we put him on a semi, we ship him out west. And then you're trying to change the dynamics of how you do things. Now you own that animal from the start to the finish. And, you know, is it, what's that old saying, horse or the cart or the cart before the horse? Oh, yeah. And sometimes you get it, you get into it. So, so when you get started and not having enough available supply to go out there and build the market, not have the supply, or then you have too much for the market. And uh, so, so that's been the struggles and then getting, and then getting the pricing, the getting it costs more for us to do what we do here in the state of Florida. You know, it's just our, our, our feed costs are higher. You know, it's just overall production costs are higher than what they are in the West because that's economies of scale. 
because it's always been you ship a calf to the grain, not the grain to the animal. Uh, but we've overcome those. We've learned those. Uh, you know, and the winds, I'm going to say today, the winds for us are, is we're, we've just, you know, if there's any positive out of COVID, is getting our producers and getting ourselves back in contact with the consumer. Uh, you know, I do it myself and, and several other ranchers. I said we go out and there's nothing any more satisfying than being out there on the street and somebody buys a piece of meat and tells you, say, hey, look, we know what kind of job you have. We know how tough it is for you. And uh, we hope you keep doing this because we, we appreciate you. And you go, and then there's some weekends you don't do very good selling meat. And you say, I'm not going to do it. And when somebody tells you that, you go, doggone, I got to come back next weekend. You know, <laughs> so the satisfaction of just knowing that, that there are some people out there that, that are not so far disconnected where their food comes from is to me a big win. And, and uh, you know, I'll keep doing it as long as I can do it. And, um, and it remains economically viable that we can that we can keep getting out there doing it. That's awesome. Yeah. I, so through this podcast, I met um, Alan Boyd. I'm not sure if you know him, but he does Boyd Fresh Farms and they've got a, a direct yep. to consumer one. Yeah. And we, we've started meeting him um, at the Panama City Farmers Market. We try to be, be, buy beef from him as much as we can. And it's, it's fun because, I mean, if I want to learn how the beef I'm going to eat that night, how it was raised, I can literally talk to the person that grew it. They're raised and yeah. kind of figure out what's going into it. So it's great. Yeah, you know, that's it. That's the connection. You know, I've had customers say, well, do you do you do growth promotions? Do you not do growth promotions? Do you do this, you do that? It gives, it gives me as a producer the opportunity to, to explain and tell why exactly why we do certain management practices in certain certain ways that we have that we produce things. It's all on economics. You know, everything that we do is based off on of economics. And, you know, the cattle business, uh, you know, the cattle business, the cow-calf situation, it's a break-even proposition over time. And uh, so it's a labor of love, but and, but you keep doing it because this is what you, you enjoy to do on a day-to-day basis. That's awesome. And they're getting, the, they're getting the information straight from the horse's mouth. Like, they're not finding it on Google or some random activist Facebook page or anything. They're finding out from the experts that know why they're doing something or why not they're doing something. So, I mean, yeah, that's a great educational tool. Yeah, yeah, you know, and I mean, that, and that's you go back to your misinformation. You know, there's a lot of misinformation on you know the the column hormones, the the, the growth promoters that 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 are utilized in the beef industry. The same thing with antibiotics. You know, uh, we do doctor animals because that's part of animal husbandry. It's just like where children get sick, we doctor them. What do we give them? We give them antibiotics. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I can tell you, we do not utilize a whole lot of antibiotics in our system because they cost too much. And, uh, you know, so so if we have one, we do doctor them. If they get a foot rot situation or something like that, we do give them the treat specifically for what's wrong with them at any given time. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, you're the expert. You're going to know when that cow needs something, when they're not going to use it. Is it viable? All that stuff. Um well, Gene, this has been awesome, man. Learning more about Florida beef. I love, I'm going to try to start buying more direct from Florida beef because I think this is an, an awesome industry. I mean, Florida is more than oranges in Disney World. We got a lot of beef here too. And I hope more and more people kind of learn from that. 
Um, so if people want to learn more, I know your website is floridacattleranchers.com. Where else can they go to kind of learn more about you guys and what cattle ranchers in Florida are doing? Well, you know, you can go to the Florida Cattlemen's Association as well, because that's, a, you know, the Florida Cattlemen's Association is a, is a group of all ranchers across the entire state. And, uh, you know, Florida, Florida Cattlemen's Association is there, all the counties across the, you know, whole, the entire Florida. And uh, it's memberships about 35, 3,600 ranchers across the state. And then you got Florida Cattlemen's Association. You got the University of Florida. Mm -hmm. uh, you got just a pile of just information out there that you can find. And of course, today we ought to be all, all up to date. You can Google it. <laughs> so, uh, so all is good. So, yeah, that's awesome. Well, we appreciate you coming on the podcast and teaching us a thing or two about Florida cattle. We wish you guys the best of luck and want we'll to talk to y'all soon. All right. Thank you very much, Trevor. We'll see you next time. Pursuing wild game in wild places. Tune in to Hunt Stand Presents Saturdays at 8.30 p.m. Eastern. Waypoint TV. The destination for outdoor entertainment.